0: Warning!
1: Warning! Today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you.
2: Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day,
3: he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go Deadly, you never go back. Order yours at GetDeadly.com. Coffee's so good,
0: it's scary.
1: Hi folks, this is Rigor along with my co-host Patsy the Angry Nerd and welcome to the 20th episode of The East Meets the West, the show in which each episode we discuss a Shaw Brothers Kung Fu film and a spaghetti western movie. Now remember, most of these movies were made... Between the 1960s and the 1980s, and that's our focus. So, uh first of all, I just want to say we apologize for there being such a delay between episodes. It's really stupid. Life kind of got in the way at the end of 2022, and we're finally back on track. We've actually recorded a couple episodes. That being said, this is our 20th episode, and we recorded this a ridiculously long time ago uh we have a special guest podcaster extraordinaire rod barnett on this episode and for scheduling reasons we kind of had to record uh the beginning out of order and unfortunately i fucked up and lost the recording i had of rod telling us about himself so uh first of all rod if you're listening i humbly apologize (laughs) Rod is the host of several awesome podcasts, as well as having done commentary on various amazing Blu-ray releases. And he's also guest co-hosted on a couple of Then Is Now episodes so far. Uh, One in which we discussed the Polizioteki film Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man. And we discussed uh, the horror films The Living Dead at Manchester Morgue in 2021. And last year, we discussed uh, the film Vampires with a Y from 1974. So if it's okay with you folks, I'm just going to use his audio from when I asked him to describe what he does and what he's been up to, uh, from a previous episode. And then we'll uh, be back on track. So here he is. Take it away, Rod. So Rod, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your podcast?
3: Oh, well, uh, currently there are 700. of them. No, uh, there are only three, <laughs> but, uh, it does feel at times as if I am running more than I should. Uh, first up is the flagship show. The one that started me podcasting, 12 or 13 years ago, the Nashi cast, where we uh, cover the films of Paul Nashi and various assorted, connected films of Spanish horror, both uh, old and new. Uh, that one's still going, although uh, we only get out a few episodes a year of that. This year, we've been uh, having a third co host on the show, Mr. Bob Sargent, who is uh, in many ways one of the reasons I became such a Nashi fanatic back in the early 90s. But uh, listen to recent episodes and you'll understand why. And then uh, there's the Bloody Pit, which is just the branch off from my, uh, my blog of the same name, which allows me to cover anything other than Spanish horror, uh, which means that you just never know what exactly is going to pop up. I mean, we may talk about uh, 40s universal horror films. We may talk about uh, an 80s sword and sorcery movie. Uh, 70s science fiction movies, Sherlock Holmes movies. You just absolutely never know with the bloody pit. And then uh, for the past year or so, I've also been participating in Wild Wild podcast with my buddy Adrian Smith over in London. We do a podcast that focuses in very specific seasons on different uh, Italian genre cinema. We did a science fiction run. Uh, we've just completed a. Uh, an italian crime film run of of episodes and we uh, do these little mini episodes in between the big ones uh, we did a we, we did a, a mini a mini series on the uh the uh, uh the sex comedies that were uh takeoffs on the canterbury tales and uh things of that nature in the early 70s in italy uh <laughs> we could we could not have done a, a full season of those um because I would have gone completely insane, but th- that, that's best left to listening to those episodes where, where you hear me parsing the various qualities of uh, films that I would have otherwise never watched in my life. And uh, very soon on the Wild Wild podcast, Wild, Wild Wild podcast is very intriguing. I love it because I don't have to edit. it. It's, uh, <laughs> that's all Adrian's job, but those are the three podcasts that I, uh, that I'm involved with on a regular basis.
1: Nice. That's awesome. And Pat, of course, is here with us. What's
2: new, Pat? Oh, not a whole lot. Uh, it's hard to believe we're only at 20. It feels like we've done so many of these. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think it's because it's not like a, every single week thing. Like, you know, we, we spread them out and, you know, we get them done when we can. Right. But yeah, things have been things have been all right. You know, we uh, have been getting a lot of snow and ice so the last few days. It's been uh in the high 50s with a ton of wind so it still feels like it's 30 and uh looking outside today we got about three inches of snow so that's fine oh wow i don't have to work today or tomorrow no filming so i'm good that's
1: good that's good yeah we we got kind of got buried a couple weeks ago with snow um we're recording this in uh february of 2022 and um uh everything turned to a sheet of ice afterwards yep so it's been pretty dangerous. Even walking, like they haven't really done a good job of cleaning the uh, the sidewalk, so I have to walk like in the middle of the street, <laughs> increase the danger factor. So, folks, today we are going to discuss two great films, Five Fingers of Death, also known as King Boxer from 1972, starring Hong Kong Kung Fu legend Lo Lee, and Long Days of Vengeance from 1967, starring the inimitable Giuliano Gemma.
4: The new movie sensation that's stunning the world. The martial arts masterpiece. Sights and sounds like never before. Cheer the young warrior who alone takes on the evil warlords of martial arts. See one incredible onslaught after the other. Come prepared for the thrill of a lifetime. I want you to pay a visit to the Xiangwu School of Defense. Who do you want us to kill? Just you concentrate on the leaders. The others... Won't give us any trouble. See acts of incredible savagery. Incredibly deadly, unbelievably vicious. astonishing ritual of the fires, pale before the forbidden ritual of the steel palm. warriors attack each other with the most deadly weapons ever developed, their bare hands. Challenge champions in a deadly sport that turned brave men into killers.
1: A promising young martial arts student named Qi Hao has spent most of his life studying under a master and has fallen in love with the master's daughter, Yinyin. After the master fails to properly fight off a group of thugs, he sends Qi Hao to study under a superior master, Shen Qinpei. He instructs Qi Hao to learn from Qinpei and defeat the local martial arts tyrant Ming Shun in an upcoming tournament in order to prevent Ming from taking control of all the northern martial arts schools. Qi meets a young female singer, Yen Chu Hung, on the road to the city and rescues her from Deng Shan's uh, th- thugs. <laughs> go,
3: go slow or you're going to do that more, more frequently.
1: Oh my God. Dung <laughs> Shan's thugs. All right. She falls in love with him, but he resists her advances with difficulty. He reaches ta- town and begins studying under Swen Chin Pei. After an initial beating by Chin Pei's star pupil Han Lung, Chao is forced to do manual labor until he's ready to be trained. For a year while he's clearing dirty dishes, Suen Chin Pei keeps trying to trip him up unexpectedly. Eventually, Chao gets good at carrying things and avoiding being attacked and is allowed to train with the others. One day, another thug of Deng Sheng's, Chen Lang, the guy with the high forehead, breaks into the school, smashes their sign with his head, and beats all of Chin Pei's students. Chin Pei finally arrives and fights him, but is struck by a dishonorable blow and severely wounded. Chi Hao tracks Chen Lang down and defeats him at the local saloon. When Chin Pei hears of this, he selects Chi Hao to receive his most deadly secret, the Iron Fist. I, I mean, the Iron Palm. <laughs> Which is. Although,
3: yeah, depending on whether you're listening to the dub or, or reading subtitles, it's one or the other, yeah. You
1: know? Right, right. But isn't that also an Asian award for independent films, the Iron Palms? No, maybe not. Okay. Uh, I think it, I think you may be right. <laughs> Han Lung discovers, um, yeah, Han Lung discovers that Chi Hao has been chosen as Chin Pei's successor and becomes intensely jealous. He conspires with Dung Shun to have Chi Hao crippled. He lures Chi Hao into the forest where Dung three new Japanese thugs ambush him. They overpower him and break his hands in true Django fashion. Later, mm-hmm. they visit his old master's school and kill him as well. Yan helps Chi Hao recuperate and again tries to woo him, but he continues to resist her. Finally, Qi Hao's fellow students locate him and encourage him to regain his fighting spirit. He begins training and soon overcomes his wounds by punching things in a 10-minute montage that completely heals his hands up. Yin Yin arrives, but withholds the news of her father's death so that Qi Hao can focus on the tournament. A rejuvenated Qi Hao successfully defeats all the other students to become Qin Pei's representative for the upcoming tournament. Han Lung returns to Dengshan with the news, but Dengshan's son blinds him and casts him out. On the day of the tournament, a conscience stricken Chen Lang warns Chi Hao of the three Japanese thugs lying in ambush on the road to the arena. Chi Hao fights the thugs, killing two of them. Then Chen Lang arrives and holds off the head of the Japanese thugs so that Chi Hao can get to the tournament on time. He arrives just in time and defeats Dengshan's son. The, the dude with the Shemp Howard hairdo to win the tournament using the iron palm, which is aided by the Ironsides theme.
3: <laughs> Could you guys hear that? Once, once heard, never forgot. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Shun stabs and kills Chinpei in the midst of the celebration and departs. As Deng Shun arrives back home, he discovers that all the lights are out. Han Lung appears in the darkened room and, guided by Yen's direction, fights Deng Shun and his son. Han Lung blinds Shemp, who is then stabbed by his father in the confusion. Dengshan bursts out of the dark room and summons his minions who Han Lung, sorry, who kill Han Lung, and he himself kills Yi Chu Hung. Chi Hao arrives at Dengshan's house, but Dengshan flees and commits suicide by stabbing himself before Chi Hao can fight him. As, yeah. he, as he leaves, the chief Japanese thug arrives with Chen Lang's head. He and Chi Hao face off. Chi Hao uses his iron palm power and copious amounts of the Ironside's theme,
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. causing his,
1: hand, his hands to glow red and deliver several powerful blows that send the thug smashing into a brick wall. Well, with the, with the thug defeated and killed, Chi Hao, Yin Yin, and Tamming depart. So, Rod, since you picked this film, when did you first see this and what was your first impression?
3: I first saw this a couple of weeks ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, it's a movie that has been on my list to see for a very long time, mainly because I knew it under the title, the American release title, Five Fingers of Death. It's kind of legendary under that title. Uh, When I discovered that uh, it was about to come out on Blu-ray as part of the huge Arrow video uh, box set uh, uh, focusing on uh, Shaw Studios, I was thrilled because this is the perfect thing. Because I'm going to be the first to admit, while i have a, a a fairly broad uh knowledge of weird european cinema uh my my knowledge of eastern cinema of either japanese or uh chinese hong kong any, any korean any of the any of those areas i'm i'm woefully shallow in my understanding and knowledge of and so Box sets like this are exactly what I live for because they allow me to kind of do deep dives into these things and kind of march through them in some kind of chronological fashion instead of just the haphazard way that I usually go about things. Because you watch them as you can find them. But this being the first time I've seen this, I've been kind of prepped and ready to see this for a long time, and so finally getting to see it was—I'll I, I, admit—as I pushed play and I sat down, you know, with the popcorn next to my beloved girlfriend who was really excited to watch this kind of thing. She loves, she loves martial arts films. Uh, I, I I'm very lucky guys. Uh, she, she loves uh giant monster movies and Kung Fu films. So you know, She's it, a keeper. it's nice. really, yeah, it's really difficult to to <laughs> feel like I've been cursed or anything like that because <laughs> honey, want to watch a Godzilla film? She says, sure. Which one? You know, that's <laughs>
0: the,
3: um, that's awesome. so the, the, the thing we get, we the thing we get here is this has always been built up as uh one of the best of this particular subset of films and so there was a part of me trying to kind of reel my expectations in uh, I didn't need to reel my expectations this movie kicks ass this is fun this is a I mean don't get me wrong when I looked at how long it was I thought wow how are they gonna sustain for that period of time but I, lo- I loved it this is my first time doing it it will not be my last
2: nice Patsy
3: well, obviously
2: I, I watched it because uh, I had never even heard of it, but the I watched it for this and uh, I was pleasantly surprised by the inclusion of uh, you know the, the karate versus kung fu aspect. Um, I did like Japanese Tim Curry uh, at the end there. Um, <laughs> but if you look at some of the poster art for this, um, especially the German one, uh, it's very misleading because you know it's got our, our hero here you know throwing a punch and, with his right hand and in his left hand he's holding uh, a pair of eyeballs and <laughs> yeah he, while, he doesn't do
3: that in the film someone else no
2: does. <laughs> two different guys do and it's not him either time <laughs> so um that's funny i mean there are a couple of like there's the uh the italian one just has a hand holding a pair of eyeballs. Um,
3: yeah, because we're going to sell this movie on the strength of somebody ripping someone's eyeballs out of it.
2: <laughs> I mean, there's there's another one. There's another Italian one <clears throat> with uh, a glowing red fist and a guy, looks like he got just absolutely pummeled into the ground, but it's, you know, from that final fight because the guy got punched through a brick wall a couple times. Yeah. So that's interesting. But most of it is just, you know, our fearless leader, you know, chopping through the, the, the title of the movie. Right. <laughs> Which, I mean, that's, he did do a lot of chopping. And, you know, I, I was listening to your 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 synopsis and it's like, oh, he's, you know, has to overcome some random obstacles while trying to clean the dishes. It's like, yeah, dude was chucking spears at him. <laughs> yes. Like,
3: yes, he was. <laughs>
2: It's not like oh, I'm throwing like peanuts or like acorns. Right. It's like, like oh, you can't. Yeah, you can't. Or you can't balance those two huge, uh, heavy, water jugs while I'm like heaving bladed weapons in your direction. It's like you're either learn how week. to deflect
3: these weapons or get an infection and die. Right. <laughs>
1: That's funny. That's oh. funny. I found a lot of ads for this in the newspapers. It played in Boston for quite a few years.
3: Oh, this movie made the circuit for yeah. This movie made the circuit for a decade or more, man.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And, you know, and um, you know, we'll get into the um, uh, the power this movie had when it first got to the U.S. But I can't recall if I had seen this on TV. I just I do remember the Ironsides theme being played in a kung fu film, but I, I don't recall if uh if. It was this movie or maybe perhaps another one that lifted this theme. I mean, obviously, Kill Bill had that. But I remember as a kid seeing this, seeing, hearing that theme in a kung fu movie. So it may very well have been this one.
2: See, I was I was listening to it and I was like, wow, that sounds weird. But like, it sounds so similar to the Kill Bill thing. But then I remembered <laughs> I was playing it on double speed. So, yes, it's going to sound slightly
0: different.
2: <laughs> we oh sound like a going- sign Going through the uh, the cast list, though, because uh, I always have a hard time keeping track of who is who unless they have like some sort of distinguishing giant forehead. Right. Um, <laughs> Bolo Young. Yes. In this movie. Uh, pretty awesome. Like as the, the Mongolian strongman there. Yeah. Which I didn't know who he was.
1: You mentioned him a while back on one of the shows. And um, yeah, he was the guy, he was the bad guy from
2: Bloodsport, right? yes yeah and he uh he oh, he's also, got a
3: distinctive face yeah i recognize him too yeah, yeah he was
2: true. uh in enter the dragon as well he's the guy who picked the dude up like he was gonna cradle him and then just like crumpled him up like an old tissue oh yeah because <laughs> <laughs> he's just so big and strong like there's a there's a van damme movie he's in where he picks up an oil drum up over his head and throws it at Van Damme who thinks it's a good idea to try to like do one of these hyper extended like split kicks at it. And he like tears his quad. <laughs> it's <laughs> oh like those things God. weigh 500 pounds. What are you doing? Right. Right. So, yeah, since speaking of
1: um, Bolo, um, bolo, let's um, t- talk about the cast and crew. And uh, the director was Jiang Cheng Hua or also known as Cheng Cheng Ho. Uh, he directed 58 films, and only a small portion of them are actual kung fu films. He was a Korean director, so that sort of brought this sort of non-Chinese perspective to this film, which I think uh, I think helped. And then the writer was Patrick Kong Young. He only wrote 19 films, which I did not recognize, but of That's course, it. yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, they wrote 19 films. What a slacker!
1: Right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> what was
3: he doing with the rest of his
2: time?
1: i know yeah. kidding. You know, half of these guys are doing like 250 films. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But of course, our lead is Low Lee, who plays Chao Chi Hao. I kept calling him Chachi Chi when I was I was telling my wife about the movie. Um, we, <laughs> <laughs> now we saw him before, Pat. Um, maybe indirectly for you, but I think you did watch it um, on our first episode. We discussed The Stranger and the Gunfighter, also known as Blood Money, and I knew when I was watching this, I'm like, he's so familiar to me, but I had to look it up because I just couldn't remember, and um, yeah, so he was in that with Lee Van Cleef, do you remember that one, it was one of the, the ladies had the yeah. maps tattooed on yeah. their butts, yeah, so he was really good in that too, and he spoke English, I think he's still he's still around, Who would love to get him on the show. Um he
3: was also in 36. 36- no,
2: he, he, he died 20 years ago. Oh, he did? Oh, too bad.
3: <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, unfortunately, no, he, he passed a while back. Yeah. November that, 2nd, that
1: 2002. I think I probably did look that up before I forgot that fact. But um, he was in 36 Cham- Chamber of Shaolin, which uh, yes. we'll eventually cover. Uh, Clan of the White Lotus, Executionist from Shaolin. Mm-hmm. But this movie is the one that put him on the map. Uh, up to this point, he was doing bit parts and villain roles. I think the previous movie he was in before this, he was a villain. And then this was the first one where he was cast as a hero. And, you know, not only did this movie just um, catapult Kung Fu films into the, you know, stratosphere. It also his career as well. He became like a legend of the Shaw brothers.
3: Well, he certainly made enough movies. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, you know, you know, it's, it's the, you know, law of averages. Like you do enough of them. You're going to hit on one. Right, you know, it was it was funny that, guy...
3: that it was funny to me that I I was looking at his list of credits and it's like, oh, I know exactly what film I first saw him in. It was Dragons Forever, the Jackie Chan and Sammo Hung film. Oh yeah, I was like oh, I saw I saw him on a bootleg of that years ago. He played he played a villain in that. So.
1: <laughs> he was also with Jackie Chan in Police Story Three, Supercop
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, w- I will say that uh, I d- I would not have known he was the same actor unless I was told uh, because I, I'm well aware of The Stranger and The Gunfighter. I'm an Antonio Margariti lunatic. Oh yeah. So uh, anything and plus anything with Lee Van Cleef, uh, you know, with a six gun by his side is something that I'm probably going to watch immediately. (laughs) Right. But uh, but I'll be honest that he just I I would not have put him in I would have not known it was the same actor from Dragons Forever uh, if if I had not been told. I mean I just that's 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 a that's a weakness on my side. It's not like he's not like Gordon Liu. Who there's just something distinctive about his face where it's like, oh, that's that same guy. Right. You know, 50, right. 50 years apart. It's like, oh, that's him. I know him. Wait.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's what we've been doing is we've been following um, the 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 uh, excuse me the Venom films, which are the actors who acted together in the five deadly Venoms, and then they went mm-hmm. on to make a bunch of films together. So we, and that's kind of helped us understand these movies and you know get familiar with these actors in particular. So that, you know we look forward to them. So it was nice to see um, a different face this time, which was yet familiar because of Stranger and the Gunfighter, and I. I'm surprised. We covered a film called Ten Tigers of Tung, which was basically an all star cast of, um, you know, martial arts legends in, in Hong Kong. And I'm surprised he wasn't in that movie because he was right up there at the time.
3: Huh. Must have been. A, maybe it was a scheduling conflict. Probably.
2: <laughs> maybe maybe it was like the 1992 dream team and. and michael jordan was like no i don't want isaiah thomas on this team screw that guy (laughs) maybe it was something like that maybe lo mang was just like no no i don't like him he
3: there aren't either that or there aren't enough zeros on that paycheck
2: you don't get yeah right right stole my bike when i was a kid
3: (laughs) carrying a grudge (laughs) yeah
1: so just quickly going down the rest of the cast here um our, our females were, I, I couldn't find too much on the chick who played uh, Yen, um, but the, the Wang Ping who played Ying Ying was, she was in like 35 Kung Fu films. And then we have um, Tung Lam who played Meng Tian Swing. He was the son with the shemp hairdo that I mentioned. Uh-huh. He was Inspector Shi in the, in the Shaw horror film Oily Maniac. Have you guys seen that?
3: Oh yeah, I have seen that. It's yeah. been a long time, but
2: yeah. No, I'll have to look that up. Uh, oh you, you
3: you need to see that. <laughs> <laughs> it's batshit crazy. Well <laughs> well you, you will you will uh you your jaw will hang open most of the time.
1: Yeah. Okay. Maybe I'm we'll pick for that it. for the next episode. because um, it is a Shaw film, it's just not a, a kung fu film. Um, yep. And then um, we've got Fang Mian, played Master Swenson Pei. Um, he's the second master that Chao is sent to. He was in like uh ninety films, which is pretty decent. Um, uh, Ku Wen Cheng played Master Sung Wu Yang. He was uh, Chao's first master that gets killed by Meng's goons, and then uh Kim Kim Ki Ju was Chen Lang. He's the dude with the the huge forehead. Um, I liked his character arc. I liked how he started off as one of the villains and then. Sort of after he saw what Han get his eyeballs ripped
2: out, he's like, I don't think I
1: want to be associated with these guys anymore. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm fine with just attacking old men and hitting them when their back is turned, but,
3: <laughs> but when you start plucking out eyeballs, we've crossed the line.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I just like how they set that up by having him use the uh the, the meditation balls over and over again. Like I was kinda hoping that he would be doing that with the eyeballs too. Oh cool. yes, yes. But that was the other dude.
1: That was um that wasn't the guy with the high forehead and the long hair.
2: No, it was the guy with um, the, kind of the, the bug eyes. Who, he kind of. No, but it looked would like, have
3: been a really good visual image to kind of double up on to kind of you know, make, yeah. make it make it even ickier. Let's put it that way.
2: Right. because like, I did, I do like the uh, that guy's look. He kind of looked like he looked like he was, you know, a uh, if Bollywood made like an 80s, like a ripoff off of uh, Wall Street and like it was him instead of Michael Douglas as Gordon Gecko. Like, that's what right. he reminded me of. Yeah. The
3: actors. Yeah, i was
2: um, oh, sorry. Go ahead.
3: No, I was just saying I can see that. Yeah, you're right.
1: Yeah. The actors, Shen Chan, uh, we've seen him before. He was in a bunch of films. Invincible Shaolin, Shaolin Daredevil, Shaolin Hellgate, Flag of Iron, Sword Stained with Royal Blood. And we've got one coming up that we're going to cover. But um Pat you might remember him best as he played Ka in The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires the dude that gets taken over by Dracula
2: Oh all right yeah I just yeah. I, I guess I didn't recognize him without like some wacky prosthetics Yeah
3: <laughs> and different facial hair that's for sure
2: Yeah yeah yeah. So I knew he was so familiar,
1: and it's like I then when I looked up his his um, filmography, I was like, "Oh shit, he's been in a ton of movies." And he was in Seven Golden Vampires. That's where I recognize him the most from. But this movie is a cornerstone film. It it really kicked the doors open for the kung fu craze in the U.S. Um, you know, it laid the groundwork for the success of uh, Bruce Lee's Fist of Fury, which was just a few months later. Uh, this movie, you know, was so popular it topped the U.S. like like we had said before, it topped the U.S. box office charts for quite a while during its release
3: it's easy to see why it was such a success too man i mean this is a don't get me wrong i know they, there's a trimmed down version of the movie that i mean at an hour and 45 minutes you can kind of understand why uh, you know especially for an american audience they would they would want to trim it down to closer to 90 minutes 90 minutes and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna insist that it couldn't be trimmed a little bit here and there especially for western audiences i mean we're pretty stupid so it's yeah. not a it's not a it's not a stretch to realize that oh, all this intrigue and all these scenes that don't really advance the violence let's just you know we can trim those out but i gotta say if he, all you did was a super cut of all of the action sequences the movie would still be 90 minutes long so. right. <laughs> that's fair maybe 85 <laughs> i don't know
1: I mean, I loved uh, the the camera work in this movie. You know, there was a lot of times where um, the the camera would be far away, but then it would be close up. And, you know, Pat and I have talked quite a bit about how movies today, you literally have, what, like 30 cuts in one second or in in
2: 10 seconds? Oh, my God. The fight scenes every time. It's like, oh, I threw a punch. We have to cut six
3: times. Yeah. They've moved. Most filmmakers, thank God, have moved away from that hideous that hideous trend a decade ago that was so prevalent that it just it got to be headache inducing well
2: it's every marvel film
3: every single
2: marvel film every single marvel property like they do that they
3: did that in a uh
2: in an animated thing too and it's like why are you doing that are you um, are you afraid you're going to show the animated stunt double? Like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> well, see, Why that's do you just have it. so many it's,
3: cuts? It's possible to have a large number of cuts within an action scene, but you have to know what you're doing in the editing room. In other words, each edit has to lead to the next. It, it can't be a sharp, a sharp Move from one perspective to a completely opposite perspective, or your eye just doesn't know where to focus.
1: Right, and, right.
3: And, and if you, you can do multiple edits, and I mean, I, the, the 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 brilliance of that is if you if you watch, um, if you want to go back a few decades, look at how action sequences and violence were were edited by somebody like Sam Peckinpah. There are mm-hmm. a lot of edits, but you never lose any sense of what is going on within the frame of every cut. Because each cut leads naturally to the next. And what what happened, I don't know, sometime in the early 2000s is this kaleidoscopic, you know, throw, throw pieces of film up in the air and randomly piece them back together again, idea of what an action sequence can look like. And it's like, I don't need for you to attempt to make me feel as if I'm somehow in the action scene. I'm trying to watch the damn thing. I'm not the guy getting my head punched into a wall. I need to be able to see how that happened. And you're failing at your editing process. here.
2: Right. It's like you throw a punch and within the time that it takes to throw that punch, you see the POV of the guy throwing the punch, the guy taking the punch, and then a wide shot of the guy getting punched. It's like, why did I need those three cuts for a single swing of an arm? right
3: <laughs> well a, a, a good example and I wish I could remember which film this was recently it was it was a I mean of good editing because when you within an action sequence, there's a it's it's a, it's a it's a it's a grappling it's a grappling fist fight between two characters and in one in one shot you're, you're seeing both of them there you see two punches from one character and a third from from the other and you see uh, the first character uh, bringing his elbow around the edit there's an edit right there. And the edit is the elbow hitting the other person in the head. And then that person who's been hit leering back and the character who's just hit him with the elbows, other hand coming up and grabbing him by the throat. And then there's a, there's a cut right there. And you're back out exactly the same thing, but you're seeing both of them in the same shot. And it's like, yeah, you understand how to edit the freaking scene. (laughs) You've just made it more exciting. We didn't lose track of what the hell was happening. And it became more tense because when we closed in tight on somebody getting hit in the face and grabbed by the throat, we're in tight on it. And that's really a tense thing. It's like right. it's 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 something you can learn. People try it.
2: Right. It's, yeah. Like it's those, not overly difficult.
1: Like those fucking Transformers movies. I watched the first one when it first came out and I couldn't tell what the hell was going
3: on. It's gibberish. <laughs> yeah. It's gibberish. <laughs> what was it the uh, my, my favorite? I never made it through even the first one. Uh, I was laughing too hard at the dialogue, I have to be honest. Uh, <laughs> but the, the, but they're, they're, every time they go into this thing where the, the machines start doing anything or fighting or anything like this, my, my theory at the time was that somebody could have done just as well, instead of paying for all that CGI you know, moving mechanical garbage, it's just dismantle 20 random cars, weld them together randomly into a giant ball, roll it down a hill and film as closely as you can on that ball rolling downhill. And it's the same image. That's all it is. <laughs> That's hilarious.
1: That's fair. <laughs> <clears throat> I did find this uh, interesting um, uh, paragraph here that I'm going to read. It was on a review online. It basically um um, it says the choreography has the stilted dance vibe that is to be expected from that period of action filmmaking, but it moves at a faster rate, making the fight scenes fight scenes feel more urgent and visceral than the films that came before it, and many that came after it. This is likely due to the strong editing of the fight scenes; they only yep. cut from shot to shot to give the best angle or impact of any given move. Old school Kung Fu movies are lauded for keeping the camera still and letting the actors show off their physical abilities, but five fingers of death deviates from this a bit and it's surprisingly better for it. So I thought that was spot
2: on. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah.
3: I like the, I like the way the action scenes in this are built. Uh, this is uh, like I say, if this is uh, this, if the same team of, of uh, assemblers, uh, move forward with with editing action sequences in, in the future Shaw brothers films in this this wonderful set, this wonderful set that i now own uh th- this is going to be wonderful because i know if even if i find the stories in future films to be less than engaging i know that once this start flying at least it's going to be exciting
1: right right and, yeah. and the the thing about this movie too is that it's um you know, the the concept of the, of the plot of the earnest young man who's forced to make the, the extra effort to overcome social barriers and, and injury and betrayal in order to have himself be recognized. That's something that, you know, worldwide audiences could relate to. So it was that I think that's part of what made this movie a huge hit in the U.S. because you didn't need to understand Chinese culture to be able to uh, identify with the, with the main character.
3: This is true. This is true. Yes.
1: And supposedly, this is the film that um, got Quentin Tarantino into kung fu movies.
3: I can well. See I that. mean, Tar- Tarantino loves this movie. It's one of his favorite films of all time. I mean, yeah. and he completely owns up to you know this being one of the movies where he, you know, completely stole the idea of the Ironside you know musical sting from yeah you know, by Quincy Jones. It's like you know this this is you know one of the things he points straight to. It's fun. It, it's it's fun. I mean, that, that's 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 one of the things that, you know, what little knowledge I have of uh, of the especially the Shaw Brothers stuff the the, the what, what's often referred to as just the chop genre is that in general, they just stole music from whatever, you know, whatever film that they wanted to steal it from because there were no there were there was no legal recourse for anybody to do anything about it. And so they were referred to all the, the musical cues where it was always referred to as like a needle drop soundtrack. In other words, you just grab it from wherever and throw it in there because that you know it's gonna you feel it will fit. But I have to admit there's sometimes when the music, well, there's a lot of times, especially in this movie, where the music works wonderfully, where it's it's perfectly embedding um, the entire sequence and it's really adding something. And yeah. then they'll bring in something like that, that Ironside theme, and it's just like it's it's so it's so loud and so I mean I, not I don't mean loud as in volume, but I mean like loud as in different from the surrounding pieces of music that it stands out so much that it's, there's almost no way to not pay attention to what's being done to you by the music there. It's, it's effective, but they, they, they will just drop those kind of things in and it, it, it rattles you a bit. And I I think they're, they're doing it for the correct effect. (laughs) Exactly. It's going to rattle you. (laughs) Oh man, I think you may have just caused me to release my bowels. Oh,
1: Oh, geez. Yeah. I did like that, though. Like, that's when you knew he was iron palming it. You know, it's, sometimes it wasn't evident, especially the first couple of times. I actually I didn't really catch it till the second viewing where his they shine the red lights on his hand, which I thought was, first of all, a great effect. Rather than doing a cheesy animated Iron Fist kind of thing, you know, that would have looked yeah, crappy yeah. back then. Just shine, simply shining lights on his hands was so effective
3: and it's a simple thing. It's in camera. It's not something that you have to worry about after the fact once you've shot it, you've got it in the can. Yeah. Yeah.
2: What I what I like is the fact that they were able to get it just on his hands and like not anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's it's, pretty impressive like to just get that you know, having worked with tr- lighting and stuff trying to get something exactly lit without getting everything else it's like you want this particular thing illuminated like it's not easy and right it was really impressive i mean it wasn't 100% perfect cuz there was like his thumb at one point was like not is slightly up.
3: out of the red glow yeah yeah, yeah.
2: it's like i have iron most of my hands like <laughs> <laughs> i have iron fingers my thumb
3: is 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 on strike i don't know why. Right, thumb right. is not a finger
2: <laughs> It's five fingers of death. It's four on this hand, one on the other. That's funny.
1: <laughs> I looked it up, too. Apparently, iron palm, or otherwise known as iron hand, it's um, it's a body of training techniques in various Chinese martial arts. It's considered one of the 72 arts of the Shaolin Temple. And mm-hmm. these conditioning t- techniques are typically meant to condition the hands to allow the practitioner to deliver very powerful blows without injury
2: to their hands um yeah what you do is uh i learned about this through budo the art of killing which is a a documentary about multiple forms of martial arts you know kung fu karate sumo uh and all the different like training uh aspects of training that go into each each style and sumo training is super brutal it's almost like hazing for the new sumo wrestlers it's ridiculous but iron hand they like they show this guy he's just like throwing a bunch of punches and they kind of pan out a little bit and he's punching a train. Um oh like God. he's just punching the engine of a train. And what they're showing is uh how he's conditioned himself. So it's like so that when he
3: breaks his fingers he doesn't feel like...
2: <laughs> it's no it <laughs> like the whole point is to cause micro fractures in the bones so that when it heals it calcifies over. Right. Ah, it, yeah it makes your hands even harder. So like you can take more damage, but also deal more damage. Like they show this guy, he's he holds his arms straight out and they start breaking two by fours over his arms, like or his forearm and his legs. And uh, Muay Thai kickboxers will do that because there's a lot of, you know, kicks with their shin. Like I've seen dudes that can kick through baseball bats. Good. God. Wow. And that's like, even even if you block that, you're suffering a significant amount of damage. Yeah. But, like, that's that's where the uh, the iron hand... Like, I didn't ever see anybody stick their hands into glowing iron shavings. Um, right. So well, I you just... You, you aren't there on they, the right day.
3: That, that's a different that's training. What it is. I
1: got the yeah. impression they were hot, and that's he was conditioning his hands by, you know... Pu- it's like putting your hands in boiling water, you know? Either yeah, that or he was just trying why? to get all the
3: hair off of his arms. Ha! <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> But the but same like, can
1: be said for uh Chen Lung, the guy with the forehead, because um I read too that you can build up calcium deposits on the front of your cranium and make your skull as hot as a rock. He's you like know. a
2: like the uh dinosaurs from uh yes. Jurassic Park two, the uh, pachycephalosaurus.
3: Right. Yeah, but with humans it's just a matter of, you know, being willing to have that many concussions. You're okay. Right. <laughs> I mean exactly. I mean, that was a rad hairstyle. Uh. <laughs> well, see, here's the thing. I I did begin to wonder, and I, I kept myself from making the obvious joke, which was the uh, the question of was the iron palm originally put together just to tro- just to chop down trees, or maybe torture forests in general? I don't understand.
1: Right, punish those nasty trees. Damn that- trees. That end fight where he's fucking you know slamming these guys leaving leaving handprints on them, <laughs> yes, like, and then like right through the bad Japanese guy's shirt, and then he punches or not even punches he palms right through this thick wooden pole and it leaves this cartoonish perfect hand you know cutout yes. in the pole.
2: <laughs> What was a movie we watched that was that was like that we covered a movie like that where the guy was hitting people and like just leaving red handprints on them and like oh, yeah. that's how they would be found dead like And he'd hit them on the back and the handprint would be on the front as well.
3: Yeah and like
0: punch oh, right bro. through
3: their shirts but like there'd be a handprint cut out on their oh, shirt. I forgot what movie that was. What is it like you know you, uh, now, now I want to see a movie where somebody just you know, shove, hit, hit, somebody in the chest with their flat palm, and it blows their heart out, their spine.
2: <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. sure of that I'm sure that's somewhere.
1: <laughs> um, I'm just looking at the ones we've done. Uh, I don't
2: know. Oh, I, don't, I don't remember. I just remember like, the guy, like he'll hit someone in the back, and then, like the red mark is on their chest. It's like, oh, he got me. It, it could <laughs> yeah,
1: have been iron, f- yeah. <laughs> It could have been iron flag or rebel intruders, uh 'cause I seem to remember it being a more recent one
2: yeah i I just don't I just remember that and like talking about how ridiculous it was, yeah, well, you know, on a
1: different note, I just wanted to bring up the fact that you know I love that Shemp and his buddies they're grown ass men, but they have nothing better to do than sit around and make fun of people and intimidate people. <laughs>
3: It's like, yeah, it's I, like su- a, I suspect that may, they may have been on the payroll just as local harassers. I don't know. Right. <laughs> it's it's comic like relief it, jerk.
1: It's like <laughs> yes. grown ass man. You're not in high school anymore. For God's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So I, I, I one thing I, I, I wonder if you guys agree with me. I could not stand Yen's songs. I just thought they were so annoying. Oh, it's-
2: it's They're like you're part. just singing about what you happen to be singing. There's a guy over there and he's using some chopsticks to eat some rice. <laughs> this is a great story. It's like I'm I'm all for like, you know, bards and stuff, you know, telling the the heroic songs of great deeds of heroes, but like You know, the one where I I zoned out and it's like, oh, the older sister scored 99, but the younger sister scored 101
3: and chose a fat, ugly husband. It's like, wait, what? What (laughs) game were you playing where that's the prize? I gotta be honest, the songs, I I have not looked this up, I have not watched a shorter version of this movie, but I guarantee you the songs were the first things edited out.
2: Yeah, probably. Uh, I hope so, because it was terrible. Like, it's like they're telling stories but like they sounded both exactly the same yeah And these four guys sitting in the saloon are like oh that's great that was awesome it's like no no it wasn't there's like three guys in the back holding up lighters like swaying back and forth <laughs> it's
3: like is this part of the price you pay to, to come here and eat it's like yeah, yeah the food is great but you gotta sit
2: through the song no 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 they paid for the concert the food was extra <laughs> the food was
1: <laughs> No, another weak point I thought in this movie was when Yin Yin had the fantasy of Chao running towards her and they're each running towards each other and in, in typical 70s slow-mo fashion that was just like i mean i know it was her fantasy but it was
0: so
2: oh i just couldn't take it very cringy yeah, yeah. it's like why don't you just have like the opening of uh little house <laughs> on the prairie where they're strolling through the field of flowers well
3: yeah. i mean I, I i don't know i i agree with you that, that that it was that it was unnecessary and that it you know it clogs up the running time on, on, on need, in an unneeded fashion but at the same time there's a part of me that goes this is i think this is there because they're working really hard to keep that particular female character uh seen as an innocent by the the general audience that would be seeing this in, in the home country i think that that's one of those you know visual telltales. it's one of those narrative things where it's like ah see this is this is this is the wonderful person who you know is you know, the, the the word the word that's not gonna get thrown out there is a virgin, you know, she's right. you know, she's pure, she's innocent, and this He's is this one of the things that they put in the film to give that impression to show that this character represents that. And it's just uh yeah, I don't know. I would feel more invested if uh if this this character were, you know, we're getting it on with the object of her love, and therefore there's some real there's some real tension there about what these people want to do with the rest of their lives. But you know, that's not that that's not the genre we're
1: playing in. So Right. Right. And I think also, too, that it was to reinforce for the audience that that's why he was resisting Yen's advances, because yeah, yeah. Yin was still in his mind. Um, but there was a funny scene where him and Yen are camping and he's like, well, we just we, we need to continue being you know pr- proper with each other. You know, which is like, again, to your point, it, you know, Chinese people want to believe that people don't have sex outside of a relationship unless you're a bad guy and you're raping people.
3: Or yeah, you're just, you know to a fallen that. woman. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, so a couple of the quick things here. Uh, this had to be set probably in the late 1800s and early 1900s because they had electricity, which was how um, the bad guy at the end, you know, they shut the lights off and they cut the power which was funny cuz i didn't notice that i went wait a minute did that guy just try to flick on a light switch
3: <laughs> yeah it feels like this is a movie that takes place in the like the 1920s would be my guess because the, because of the electricity i'm just you know kind of looking at you know when uh, when that would have been an available amenity and i well, think I, it's, it's it got to be that, right
1: well, I don't think so. I mean it could be, but um eighteen seventy nine was when China first started setting up electric poles. Oh um, okay. but they okay. kinda kept it for like the Shing Imperial Palace had power before everybody else, but it wasn't until yeah. eighteen ninety that they started to let it become available to the general public. So it could be anywhere between eighteen ninety and, you know, nineteen thirty.
3: See, I'm just I'm just figuring looking at the looking at some of the stuff in the movie, it has to be, you know, post Boxer Rebellion, but I'm not sure.
1: So Right. And, they, you know, I think the last movie we covered, I noticed their outfits definitely seemed more modern. And by that, I mean, it was like the 1920s. Yeah. Um, so you can kind of tell by their styles, like when they're in full robes and with the long ponytails and and stuff like that, and they all look the same. That's like the 1700s. Oh,
0: so, yeah. Okay. Like,
1: yeah. You know, Lee, 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 Lo Lee's um, outfit in this was more, I think, uh, early 1900s. You know, like you said, could be up into the 20s. Um, so I thought I did think it was funny that his hands not only healed up within that 10 minute montage, but then they completely healed when you saw them towards the end. He had. I know no... there's no
3: scarring. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes. I was like, come on, man. In, in, in Django, his fingers are gone. His, his fingers are screwed up forever. I mean, these things are messed. Right.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. And you know the Japanese, uh, the Japanese guys, two buddies there. And they, and they needed uh, to get hairbrushes.
2: So
3: <laughs> there's a lot of weird hair. In this
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. There were definitely some uh, some choices made. Right.
3: <laughs> the local barber was a creative sort.
2: Right. Yeah, he's an abstract painter, on his and his day and his day job, and then barb barbs barbers. Haircuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he he cuts hair you're very creatively right. i have terrible depth perception and only one eye
3: <laughs> causing and, the occasional forehead injury yeah. <laughs> right
1: and we'll see a, a barber scene in the next film we're going to talk about so yeah. uh let's wrap this one up here uh rod final thoughts on king boxer aka five fingers of death
3: Uh, It's a film that I, you know, even in the 21st century earns its place. Uh, The legends are accurate. This is a very strong film and uh, one that uh, one that I I wish I'd come to, you know, much earlier in my movie view in life.
2: Nice. Pat? I liked it a lot. I thought it was uh, I thought it was good. I liked the uh, the the different character dynamics. Um, Definitely some uh, aesthetic choices. Not a huge fan of uh, the songs like we were talking about. Like that could have been so different. Um, <laughs> I did like the repetitive stinger. <laughs> That's just me. Um, yeah, overall, I, I, I liked It's not my favorite Shaw Brothers film, but it did have some good fight scenes. I liked the, the uh, Chinese, Japanese like feud going on so uh, yeah I, I enjoy this one a lot I highly recommend it
1: yeah yeah same here I agree with both of you I thought it was very enjoyable I, I like the fact that it wasn't as confusing as some of these films get uh, it was pretty direct and easy to follow and I can see why that would make it a hit here uh, in the US I did love the directing um, the use of the camera the lighting uh, they even used fisheye lenses at certain mm-hmm. points I don't know if you guys noticed that yeah, well, I think that
3: sometimes when those uh, those big wide shots, because it's shot very wide, I think that it's almost necessary to use those kind of lenses so that the, the far ends of, uh, you know, the left and right sides of the, of the image kind of, you can see people moving from like the far end into the center of the frame. And it's like, oh, they're getting less thin. That's interesting. Okay, good.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, I read one cool phrase about this movie it's that it's a genre defining. I'm sorry, a genre defining hit with a lasting impact, and I think that's definitely true. I'm excited to see more films with Low Lee in it. Once we get beyond the Venom films, um, I think we should start looking at his movies next up and see what else he's done. Um, like Thirty Six Chamber of Shaolin is a big one that I've been wanting to get to. Um, but for one of the two non Venom films that we've covered so far, I highly recommend this movie. And uh, its use of music, too, was really good. (laughs) Okay, so we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss Long Days of Vengeance from 1967 starring Giuliano Gemma.
3: Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating there's a long-running series focused on italian maestro antonio margariti's films from the nineteen sixties all the way up through nineteen ninety there's an on again off again series focused on nineteen seventies science fiction films there's an in-depth look at the western movies that william castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love, a look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil, and our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So, join me and my rotating crew of co hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't, yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So, join me for The Bloody Pit.
0: facciamo la barba Barnett Ted Barnett è da Gomez
4: Mi ha ucciso mio padre.
0: So
2: Long Days of Vengeance is a 1967 spaghetti Western film directed by Florestano Vancini. Uh, it's the only v- Western that he directed, and he was cr- credited as Stan Vance. So a little bit right. different from his actual name. Uh, the film is the spaghetti Western version of Alexandra Dumas' novel, The Count of Monte Cristo. And yep. I, I'm going to pull up a couple of different plot summaries because they're super short. Uh, Wikipedia says Ted Barnett escapes from prison and returns to his hometown to prove that he did not commit murder and also find the man who murdered his father. To do this, he must disclose the respected landowner Cobb as a smuggler. IMDB says after three years of hard labor, Ted Barnett escapes from prison to seek revenge on the three men who framed him. Based on those two, <laughs> there could be two different films. Right. <laughs> it's true. Like. <laughs>
3: The Adventures of Ted Barnett, Part One and Two. You know?
2: yeah. Like <laughs> they're, it's both are technically accurate. Both are far too short. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> so, so Rod, when did you first see this movie?
3: Uh, actually, just uh, I honestly about a month and a half ago. I had had this on a on a DVD for some time. Wild East, the I soon to be completely gone. DVD releasing company Wild East had put this out, uh, had put this out as a double feature, uh, starring Mr. Gemma, uh, two different films that he made. And I'll be honest, uh, Days of Vengeance or Long Days of Vengeance on the on this disc, it's called Days of Vengeance, is not the film I bought the 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 DVD for. I bought it for Eric the Viking because I'm an extraordinarily strange person. And the (laughs) uh, the the joys is that means I had already watched Eric the Viking possibly twice before I ever. (laughs) <laughs> Before I ever watched days of vengeance and uh, mainly because I, I hate to, I hate to say this. Um, the, I've seen, I've seen a few of uh, Giuliano Gemma's spaghetti Westerns and they have it. his, his Westerns always have a tendency to irritate me because they, they have this, this attitude. It's, it's as if they can't have his character be serious he has to be this joking above it all, sneering at everything around him kind of guy who is ne- it never really actually feels like he's in any danger. Uh, this was a bit of a shock in this film when I watched it. Was I, I was expecting that same kind of thing and to be irritated with the character and, and secretly hope that even though he's the hero, he gets killed in some hideous fashion. But, <laughs> but um, there is only one section of this movie where he kind of exhibits that kind of uh, attitude that I'm used to seeing him exhibit in, you know, his Eurospy films and his spaghetti Westerns and uh, in Eurospy films where it's kind of jokey to begin with across the board, it's fine. But this is, this is a like 90% deadly serious movie with only one scene in it where it's like they, and I wonder if they kind of like stuck in this, the, the jokey scene with him, you know, playing like he you know he's a, he's an actor in a movie and we're going to acknowledge that everybody knows this within the, within within the scene they only did one of those and it, there's a part of me that just wishes they there's a version of the film where they could just cut that scene out so it's serious all the way through but uh i i kind of been looking forward to it uh as you alluded to off mic by the way uh i did not know the main character had my last name that was yes. uh, that was not <laughs> why i chose this movie Oh, um, ironic huh yeah 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 uh, uh I, I, i'll be honest it was just like oh let me let me find a spaghetti western that i've not seen yet and we'll we'll check it out but uh yeah um, the uh the, i was also not expecting it to stretch to two hours in length but i will admit that about halfway through it i suddenly i did suddenly caught to hey wait a minute this is the count of monte cristo <laughs> mm-hmm. that's funny <clears throat> You know, and to your point, Rod,
1: about, um, uh, you know, Giuliano Gemma's character being different a lot of times. I mean, first of all, he's very unconventional in this movie, but in, like, A Pistol for Ringo, he's a cowboy that doesn't drink whiskey. He drinks milk. Um, He just does everything against it. And and Pat and I have discussed this before. Uh, Apparently, just a short couple of years after. Sergio Leone's first spaghetti western, which sort of really they had some, but th- that was the one that really kicked it off. Which was, I think, um, was it for a few dollars? No, oh, uh, fistful of dollars. dollars. Yeah, that sort of kicked off the genre. Yet three to four years later, all of a sudden they were deconstructing the genre. Oh yeah, and it was
3: it was it was almost automatic that that was. I mean, it felt like that was going to happen almost immediately because the the fact that these were being made in in Europe in the first place almost. It almost required that they they kind of think about it in a much larger way. You know, it's 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 fascinating. I love I love that kind of thing because you can get meta without it feeling like you're being pretentious. It's fun. So would you
1: say that deconstructing the genre is sort of a way? um, If let's say a, a bunch of movies came out after Fistful of Dollars and they pretty much copied the formula, so deconstructing is a way of doing something different within the genre.
3: Well, it's 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 a it's a way of trying to find a way to do something that's been done, you know, by by the time the spaghetti western genre really kicks into gear in the, the mid sixties. There were there were Italian westerns made before the mid sixties, but it was fiscal right. dollars that suddenly, you know, turned it into a a worldwide phenomenon. That and the one two punch of that and Django and then for a few dollars more and suddenly you're off to the races. But what me, what 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 we, what you end up with is the realization from, from these filmmakers that if we don't do something interesting, then we can't differentiate ourselves from the pack and we're not really going to make money from this. So most of the time you end up doing what uh, Leone did over the course of those first three, you know, the dollars movies. So that by the time you get to 67 and you're looking at, the uh, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, what you're looking at is something that is so hyper uh ultra unrealistic in certain areas of it uh, where they're, where the, uh, the, the humor is, is, is very large. The, the, the storyline is just gigantic. The, the, the concepts that they're dealing with are all the same concepts, you know, greed and, and lust and, and uh, revenge and things of that nature. But they're being played against just this humongous background where the bigger they can make something the, the better, because that's how you stand out. But right. if you can't afford to do that, what you do is you, what, what, you, what, what a lot of these filmmakers ended up having to do is like get really intricate with the backstabbing and the twists of, you know, the plot twists and the way things that'll, you know, end up being the surprises and, the, and you know, midway through the film and then a, a few extra surprises in the last act. That's where you get it because that's what they could take from the Sergio Leone films you know the the twists and turns they could take that because that just requires somebody sitting down and writing something that's a little clever instead of you know hi- hiring hundreds of soldiers to restage part of the civil war for god's sake you know right <laughs> it's yeah, it's yeah. it's fun i, I the the thing, the thing about it is um, a, lo- a, lo- a lot of people think it, may think it's strange that uh, you know fernando fernando del leo one of the scriptwriters on this just you know, completely cops the fact that yeah, yeah, yeah. I just used the Count of Monte Cristo as a template to build the story. But to be honest, that's not that shouldn't be a shock to anybody because I mean, a Fistful of Dollars is basically a retelling of Dashiell Hammett's novel Red Harvest in the first place. I mean, it's you know, it's by way of Yojimbo, but Yojimbo was an adaptation of Red Harvest. So. Right. You know, grabbing literary works and, and using their plot lines to, to build genre cinema—that's that's age old, man. Anybody want to sit down and watch? You know, um, what, what is it? Uh, Battle Beyond the Stars. Guess what that is? That's the Magnificent Seven. Oh no, The Seventh Samurai. Oh no, you know, it's like it's it's the right. same. You know, there, these stories are being done again and again. And uh, so I, I love the fact there's a part of me now that hopes that somewhere out there there's like another spaghetti western version of the Count of Monte Cristo. There probably is.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. It's not only that, it's, you know, when you're talking about deconstructing and and stuff like that, the first thing that came to my mind was, you know, when Jaws came out and all of a sudden there was this deluge of killer animal movies that were essentially just Jaws ripoffs, like they were trying to capture the formula of what was successful, what people liked about it, and then try to make it different and distinct enough that, you know, it was... You know, like oh, this is a new thing. Like oh, this is just as good as Jaws, and it's like, yeah, Jaws caught lightning in a bottle. You're trying to rip it off, and everyone knows you're trying to rip it off. So it's right. <laughs> stuff so like grizzly, orca, piranha. Like you tried really hard, and it's like, all right, what made it successful? You know, Quint, and the fact that you never see the shark, and the fact that it's you know much larger than it should normally be, and um. You know, there's, it's it's just not.
3: Well, it's it all depends to on the do. level of skill being brought to bear, too. I mean, if you've got, uh, if you've got somebody like, uh, you know, the team that Joe Don- Joe Dante put together to do Piranha, it's like they know they can't. They don't have the money to do Jaws. What they can do is they can shrink the size of everything down, and then you know, concentrate heavily on the the tension, the the, the tension scenes, the the scenes of suspense. And then construct an interesting enough story so that uh, so that you, you're 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 being carried along, and then populate it with good characters. And that you know that's all you need. And in other words, you kind of backdoored your way into what you would have done in the first place, which is write a half decent script for God's sake. You know.
2: Yeah. Right. Like why why was why was that so difficult?
3: Well, I mean, and that's just that you, you can come at writing a half piece of script in about, oh, I don't know, a billion ways. And, you know, the, when you're talking about rip off cinema, one of my favorite types of cinema, you're generally <laughs> you're generally coming at it ask backwards, which is you're, you're going, oh, that was a big success. OK, you've, you've already you've already started at the end. <laughs> you started at the, the tail end. Oh, that made a lot of money. I want to make a lot of money. Let's see. <laughs> what do we do? So you're you're back engineering everything that worked in the movie that you're attempting to ape and it you know sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't
1: it's pretty much roger corman's motto you know
3: (laughs) yeah exactly i mean like i say it's a good motto if you can bring uh, enough talent to bear on this on on the thing and make it something that's feels at least while you're watching it like you're not watching something that's just trash.
0: <laughs> it's just right, right. Where,
3: where and, and that's perfectly good. I mean, like, like I say, i i um I, I love the uh like the 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 entire shark genre that pops up there in the late 70s and lasting all the way up to you know I I guess it was Jaws 3D in the early 80s that finally put a stake through the shark's eyeball. I don't know. <laughs> but the the, the thing is, if you examine all those movies that are descended from Jaws, you will find some movies that are really interesting because what they did is they, they used the idea of a quote-unquote shark movie to make a different kind of movie, to make a drama where the, 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 the interest is not in following a hunt for a shark, but in getting you interested in the characters on land because it's cheaper to shoot on land, That who who are going to be put in danger when they are out on the water. In other words, we spend most of our time getting to the characters, and of course, what that means is they're coming at it in a way to make to make what they're doing cheaper than the the film Jaws. But what they've done is they back their way into what makes Jaws one of the more interesting films you're ever going to watch because the characters are really interesting in Jaws. But they didn't start. I guarantee you, they didn't start with the. How do we get some, how, let's write some really interesting characters. No, they didn't start there. <laughs> they started with the right. idea of ripping off Jaws. <laughs> so they backed their <laughs> yeah, way into, fair. it's cheap to create characters. If we spend our time wisely, we create interesting characters, and then people will give a shit when somebody gets bit by a shark. But right. they're coming They're coming at it backwards. And that, that's fine because you're watching the movie forward. It doesn't matter <laughs> as long as all the pieces are in place, you're good.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The real shark attack was the friends we made along the way.
3: It's the warm shark tooth cookie at the end of the film.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> All right, so let's dive into the director and the writers in the cast here. Um, as you mentioned, Pat, Florestano, Vancini was the director. Um, he only did a handful of films, but a couple of them won awards in Berlin and Moscow. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, And as Rod mentioned, Fernando de Leo was the main script writer on this, although we have a couple of other guys. But, um, you know, he also wrote Pistol for Ringo, Return of Ringo, um, as well as the first two of the um, Man With No Name trilogy. He also wrote Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with Giuliano Gemma, which we've talked about. And Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man, which Rod and I covered over on Then Now. So we've got yet another Ray Lovelock connection here, Rod. It seems to be happening every time you <laughs> join the show.
3: <laughs> well, the thing about Fernando Del Leo is you could spend uh, you could spend a good, solid month just watching movies that he was associated with, and you're going to, you know, you're like 95 times out of 100, you're going to be really happy with what you're watching.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, a couple of co-writers on this, Augusto Cam- Caminito, um, He co-wrote it, but I didn't recognize most of his films But he has one called Avenger X, which looks kind of cool Do you know anything about him, Rod?
3: No, I really don't uh, I, I mean, Avenger X is a film that it sounds like I would have immediately seen And I probably have, but it's lost the mists of my aging memory So I don't know yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, And then, and the last guy who basically came up with the story was Manahan Velasco Um, At least he's credited as story um, he assisted directed this movie as well as um, the Ringo films and a bunch of others, including Who Can Kill a Child? And one that I happened to catch recently is a black exploitation horror film called Voodoo Black Exorcist, which had uh, Fernando Sancho kind of had a guest cameo in that. Yeah, so... I
2: had to bring him up because I was surprised that like the main evil Mexican guy did like his best impression of him yes <laughs> i'm like wow it's like somebody cosplaying as fernando sancho but like not doing nearly as good a good as good a job
3: right there were two or three actors who kind of were where were, it's like if, if schedules don't align they're the ones that get slotted into that position yeah I mean, he's one of them
2: <laughs> i always like him and you know it's you know it's funny we were talking about you know Ringo and like how he was so Giuliano Gemma was so different in that and then in the next movie like everything just changed and like it's a sequel Cast it's the same cast playing different characters like I feel like including him like he was a completely different character yeah yeah,
1: he was good of course as we said he's Ted Barnett um, Rod's grandfather
2: and uh... possibly yeah Rod is heir to the 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 uh, train fortune there,
3: right? <laughs> Somebody needs to contact me. Where are the lawyers?
2: Um, we've of course talked
1: about Giuliano quite a bit because we've watched a bunch of his movies now. Um, and one I found in the newspaper, and this may have come up before because it rings a bell, but we're going to have to definitely do this on uh, an episode when we do the Outside the East Meets the West. It's it's a movie called Even Angels Eat Beans. And it's well, wait gone. with Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer, just Bud Spencer <laughs> oh, and, Ted and, and, and Giuliano Gemma. Yeah,
2: <laughs> like if it has something to do with beans, Bud Spencer's involved. <laughs> right. And
1: I did find a link for it on YouTube, so it's easy to catch. Um... Bud, we have but this yeah, movie. Told...
2: it's got beans in the title. I'm in. I didn't tell right. you anything else about it. I'm in.
1: So, Rod, aside from Giuliano uh, uh, Gemma, we've covered a lot of Ted, um, Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer films. Are you familiar with those guys?
3: Uh, yes. Yes, I am. I wish I was less familiar. I'll be honest.
2: <laughs> you know, I got very strong Terrence Hill vibes from Giuliano Gemma, like climbing and and. And doing yes. acrobatics in this movie. And I was like, wait well, a minute. Well,
3: Gemma started out in films as a stuntman. So that, that kind of goes along with it. I mean, he's always he's very physical. And he's that means he was somebody, when they started giving him dialogue, they could actually you know keep the camera on his face when he did right. the acrobatic stuff. So
2: I know, but I was like, that's not your shtick. That's Terrence that's, uh, oh, that's that's Hill. That's Terrence Hill. He's the <laughs> one who does like the swinging around and jumping through windows and climbing on things and swinging off flagpoles. <laughs> <laughs> i
1: I love how Juliana Gemma looks just like James Franco. I wish if they made a movie about his life, they would have Franco play him.
3: Oh, that's weird.
2: oh, they did,
1: yeah, isn't yeah. it crazy?
3: I didn't even yeah, you're right. I hadn't even thought about that,
1: yeah, every time I see him, that's who I think of. you know <laughs> Chud <Nwofsky. laughs> um Francisco Rabal played Sheriff Douglas. He was in uh two hundred fifteen things, including Nightmare City. Which, Pat, if you have not seen that, it, I love that movie. I know you've seen it, Rod, because it's oh, yeah. batshit crazy.
3: Love it, love it. We've covered it on the bloody pit. It's a crazy. Movie. Yes,
1: that's probably why I heard it first. Love it. It's basically this plane lands and a bunch of zombies get off and it's all hell breaks loose. <laughs> it's yeah, and it's weird.
3: it's weird. They're not like typical zombies. It, it, seems, it seems to have been, they seem to have been caused by some kind of uh, accidental radiation leak. So they're just hideous looking and they're, they're they're fast moving violent things they use knives and axes and whatever the hell else they get their hands on to kill people and drink their blood it's amazing oh yeah. same
1: yeah <laughs> uh gabriella giogelli played
2: dolce Dulce. was it Dulce? dolce Dulce. Dolce. yeah uh it's the italian for sweet uh oh right there yeah she's she she wasn't bad like i did <sighs> I didn't like the fact that like the, and I think the scene that uh, Rod, you were talking about the one where he's like, Oh, I'm super invincible and goofy. Like was the bar scene where he first meets her. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, Oh, you were about to be uh, sexually assaulted. Let me lay on top of you and like you right. know, make you yeah, know, these crude it's, references. And it's like, it's
3: really strange that respect. it's yes.
2: not cool. Like, right.
3: I know. I know. I agree with you. <laughs> it's really strange.
1: I did like the part prior to that though where the guys were all at the top of the stairs and they're all terrified of him and take off.
2: <laughs> yeah, and he just like goes to like reach for his gun and like they all run. Yeah.
3: <laughs> uh, what's wild is she's an absolutely be- absolutely beautiful actress, and she's quite good in this. And I had seen her in uh The Cynic the Rat and the Fist and uh, from just a few years after this. Uh well about ten years after this, but she also uh she turns up playing uh she's she's in the nineteen eighty three Hercules movie. Uh, Lou Ferrigno yes, and uh, yep. it's just one of those things where it's like you start looking at an actor, an actor, or an actress's list of credits, and you realize, oh, holy crap! I st-. she was at wait, she was the aunt in wax in wax mask <laughs> in 1996. Holy crap! A moly, <laughs> I know that movie. I oh man, this is weird. What
1: I thought was odd, it, I must have been having a brain fart because um, when when she first came on the screen, I was like, wait a minute, is that Nievas Navarro? Like no, because she did kind of resemble her, and I just don't yeah, know was going on with my head. Um, so I was confused there. But she was in a lot of techie films and Grindhouse films too. It, yeah. it looks like at least from what I could tell. Um, Conrad San Martin would played Cobb. Um, no relation to Lee J. Cobb. He was in the awful Doctor Orloff. Um, and of course, Nieves Navarro played Dolly. We've seen her quite a bit now. Oh, wait,
3: wait a minute before we before we get off oh, of uh, of of Conrado San, San Martin. He's my uh, he's my uh, Nashi connection. He, he plays a, a Jewish wise man in The Beast of the Magic Sword. Oh, okay. for uh, Paul Nashi, and uh, he was yeah. also in one of my uh, favorite. I know no one else needs to like this movie, Lucio Fulci film uh conquest the movie the movie shot through a a tent a a a tent and a haze uh i love that movie (laughs) i love that that movie a lot but i i can't i can't i can't let it go past without mentioning the Nashi connection and the fact that i do love conquest i don't care what anybody else thinks. so
1: (laughs) i haven't seen it i'll have to check it out
3: oh wow let me uh let me recommend and warn you simultaneously (laughs)
2: <laughs> that's that's uh, that's a good way to introduce that movie that is very intriguing. <laughs> right. well,
3: okay, well, let's put it this way: it was made by Lucio Fulci. It came out in the early '80s, like '83, and it is essentially a uh, a sword and sorcery kind of thing. But the amount of nudity is going to stun you. <laughs> it's just there, there is a female character who wears a golden mask the entire film and is topless the entire time.
2: same i mean that's hilarious
1: um and then where were we oh you know who i forgot to put on this list but the um uh there was the dude that was the doctor um yeah you know the the dentist guy he was in I think he was in Pistol for Ringo. He's, like, been in every Giuliano Gemma film. He's just, like, always plays this nerdy little guy. Yeah, Pajarito, <laughs> little bird. Yes, yeah. So yeah, I forgot he, to put him on the list. I don't know why.
2: Yeah, because he was he was one of the – he was in Pistol for Ringo, and then he was, like, a different character in Ringo's Return*, but, again, yeah. the same actor. And I was like – that's what really threw me off, because, like, I was like, he's kind of weird looking. Uh. And, like yeah. – It's like, wait a minute, it's like, uh, reminds me kind of of like Eddie Deason from, uh, yes, uh, Greece, (laughs) right? Yes, or
3: 1941, or any other movie, yes, Critters, (laughs)
2: Um,
1: just to round out the cast here, we've got um, Teodoro, or just Doro, Cora, who played Morgan, he was in one of the films we covered already, Today We Kill, Tomorrow We Die, and Milo Quesada played Gomez, and he had an uncredited role in Black Sabbath with Boris Karloff. Oh. So I thought that was
2: interesting. No, Black um, Sabbath f- had Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> <laughs> as in far
0: general,
3: as I could find. Up, up until a point that they kicked him out. So
1: yes. Right. <laughs> We're taking on Boris Karloff. <laughs> Uh, As far as I could tell, this did not get a U.S. theatrical release. I did a lot of digging through newspapers with the the various titles, but even IMDb doesn't have a listing for a U.S. release. So I don't even remember if this was ever shown on TV. I never saw this one before. I hadn't even heard of it. It was kind of hard to find, too. I mean, um, you have the DVD, Rod, but we ended up... I found it on the Roku channel, and I watched it there a couple times, and when I went to watch it again last night... I couldn't get it off that. I had to go onto a website that had it and um, cast the computer to my TV.
3: Huh? Weird. Well, I mean, this, this happened with me recently. We just, we just recently covered a really hard to see Antonio Margariti film 1969 called the Unnaturals. It's an excellent film, but it's almost impossible to see. And I, we were able to find, we found a a fan subversion on the, on YouTube. And so we watch it. We do, we, we record the podcast and then I go and I'm going to like, you know, send a link to people so that they can watch the movie as well. And it's gone. <laughs> so,
0: uh,
3: yeah. Terrible. That's crazy. That's wild.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, this has always been one of Giuliano's, uh, lesser known movies until Tarantino mentioned that this was one of his favorite spaghetti Westerns. So then we have another connection to the Shaw brothers film that we saw.
3: Well, I mean, you can understand because this is a movie, I mean, don't get me wrong. It would be very easy to argue that the film is a little too long. Um, uh, Yes. But at the same time, the the it, it has a groove. And once it's in that groove, it's really effective.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Tarantino went so far as to use some of this, uh, the music from this film, um, which was by Armando Travioli in the anime sequence in Kill Bill 1.
3: Yeah. Great. Yes. Storm, by the way, this is the music for this film is phenomenal. I knew the music for this film before I ever watched the movie.
1: Yes, is that because you you heard it in other films?
3: Well, that and um, I I I have a tendency to to grab and collect uh, spaghetti western music from various and sundry places, and so right. uh, there there have been uh, more than a few collections where I've heard chunk you know chunks of the score and didn't know what movie was from, even though I mean I could have looked at the credits and known, but I just wasn't paying attention. I was just letting him play, and so when it when it when it pops up, it's like oh hell I know that oh okay good yeah
1: yeah. Uh, Marconi has an uncredited um, role here as uh, some, some kind of contribution to the score. I'm not exactly sure how. Huh. Um, but Tra- Travioli worked on Hercules and the Haunted World, Werewolf in a Girl's Dormitory, Hercules and the Captive Women, uh, The Mole Men Against the Son of Hercules. So that when I'm watching it, I'm like, I recognize the style. And if, I was kind of torn whether it was Morricone or Travioli. And then t- come to find out they both worked on it. <laughs> it's good stuff. So, but um yeah, Dolce was awesome in this. I thought she really like he was trying to get rid of her towards the end and he's like, no, you'll slow me down, go away And then she ends up saving his ass several times.
2: <laughs> and then she just ends up hanging around. right.
3: <laughs> well, I have to say the, the two female characters in this, uh, I got well you have you know Niv's N- 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 Navarro, uh, you know, often known as Susan Scott when you start talking about her 1970s film work, she's, she's, oh, she plays a, a knife's edge, you know, not quite sure which side she's going to fall on. She plays that very well throughout this. And that's something that she was very good at in the movie. She made mm. in the seventies as well. And uh, she's just, uh, she, it, it, it's really, it's really, it's really fun to have these characters because the, there, there, there's some complexity to some of the characters and that's that's kind of interesting. Some are some are obvious types, you know, there's the obvious villains and things of that nature. But uh, there's still enough detail within even the, the the villains that they're interesting. They're not just, you know, they're not giant cartoons. There there's some nuance to the way they do things. And that's cool.
1: Right, right. You know, and I like the fact that Juliana Gemma had a, um did a lot of cool things in this movie like hiding under the horse trick. Yeah. Or yeah, that was the, a good one. the string trick. Yeah. You know the the trick with the string where he'd pull the string and the gun would turn and boom.
3: Lot lot of see those are the kinds of things that in a different kind of movie would be played for some kind of ridiculous laugh, but here they're yeah. played straight and they're serious and they work.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I thought that was good stuff. Like that's one of the things I I I think I like about westerns. Like we've talked about this before. Um like in Day of Anger and you know some of these other films where there's like this crazy convoluted plan because it's like two guys against an army and they have to figure out like how to how to defeat them and there's like this wild like series of deceptions and tricks and sleight of hand and smoke and mirrors and somehow the good guys come out on top like every time like that's one of my favorite things and like some of those random tricks like you know the horse trick like that was a really smart move um but not everybody could pull it off because like that's not the way he was hanging on to that horse is not something that's easy to do especially if you're you know not used to using certain muscle groups like (laughs) i couldn't do that right now no i could maybe go like it's like, oh, I went about eight feet and fell down. And then the guy shot me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he also hangs under the train, too, sort of like in a. That was we
2: saw in Five Man Army. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just, you know, pff, that's, that's cliche at this point. Right. <laughs> Mind the big
3: rocks. Well, I, I, um, I'd i like to say, single out a few things that I think this movie does that is, it sh- shows them. I, I know that their lead actor was a, was a, a star and i think that he was there were certain things that were expected of him i think that's why we get the one scene in this movie where it's played like a lot of his other movies you know where we get the jokey the jokey saloon scene but i think that mostly this is a pretty serious movie and honestly you might even refer to it as kind of bleak i mean we do get some unexpected yeah. squib violence later on that scene where we see the bad guys uh with the with the the henchmen having the uh, the arm wrestling contest with the knives positioned so that your your hand gets cut if you lose and things like that. It's like there's this is a it's pretty serious kind of kind of dark in a lot of ways. I think that they definitely knew that they were trying to be they were trying to make a serious film here because their star their the face that's selling this movie he's not on he's his you don't see him dead on you see him from behind in a, in a few scenes but you don't even see him. For like the first like 20 or 23 minutes, you don't see his face. Um, right. And, and I think that's great. That shows that they were definitely that that feels a whole lot like uh Fernando Del Leo, who knew how to structure a, a good story. You know, you keep the the you keep the the main character off screen as much as possible, but you have all of these other characters talking about them. You keep the interest yes. high by making everybody know that he's the center of the story because everyone's dreading the fact that he's getting out of prison. That's right gr- that's great stuff and it makes you learn a lot about the main character before you're introduced to him in that fantastic scene where he's forcing someone to shave his, his beard off yes and, uh, the, i mean that, that's just a and let's just be blunt that's a great scene that i you yeah. know we, we've all seen those kinds of scenes in different westerns especially in some spaghetti westerns but this is a really good example of that Um uh, it's good stuff. It's good stuff, and there's a lot of that kind of serious uh, attention to constructing things in a way that keeps you interested all the way through this. Uh, and I will just say that, you know, without giving anything specific away, the entire final shootout, the the thing where uh, our main character is being led to the gallows, supposedly to be killed, and then we have the uh, the final action sequence. Man, that is one of the best uh action sequences, uh not just in this movie, but uh I'd stack it up against a lot of really great, you know, final act bloodletting gunfights uh yeah. in, in almost any spaghetti <laughs> western ever. It's really effectively done.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I I I think, you know, you know, talking about what I was just saying, like you know, the, the crazy convoluted things. Um one of my favorite was um the opening scene like how they get out of the uh how they get out Prison. of the um yeah. Like, yeah i thought that was pretty rad
1: yeah. yeah and it was almost by chance like he happens to find the wick on the ground and then he leaves it for the other dude i mean unless he knew where there was one and cuz it seemed like they obviously had it planned beforehand
2: i just yeah, like, I I like, like i like i like so watching many the elements. yeah like watching the 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 sun move across the sky Uh Yeah, I mean, there's a lot
1: of good directing in this, you know, and it was interesting, Vanchini's approach, because um, he cuts away a lot. Like, um, the scene, uh, what do we think? We think there's going to be a massacre on the train, but then it cuts away, and we just kind of hear about it afterwards. Yeah, yeah. you know, there's a build-up to the standoff between the two gangs, but then once they start shooting, it cuts to the group of travelers that are sort of w- witnessing it from afar. Yeah. Um, and you know, that sort of goes to the unconventionalness of this movie. And the, I think the biggest unconventional thing that shocked me was that uh, Bar, uh, Barnett, instead of you know just fighting his way out or running, he basically gathers all the information about who killed his father and plays it by the book and gives it to the judge. You know,
2: <laughs> for, for for all the
3: good it does, it yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, it's got
2: to stop him from getting hung. True, very true. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just, it's so wild that he's like, yeah, let me turn myself in. And like, I'm so, you know, I'm so confident that you'll do the right thing that I'm going to just completely put my faith in you, even though you're the guy who screwed me over.
0: <laughs> true, yes.
1: You know, just quickly jumping back to the um to that end gunfight, I I had in my notes here. I wrote, "throws the star badge for the win." Yeah. Oh,
3: we forgot to mention that the 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 sheriff's the sheriff's badge as Shuriken. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, like that was just. <sighs> That's one of those weird touches that turn up in so many spaghetti westerns, where. You, you wonder you, you wonder if it was a good idea. I mean, you're willing to give it to. He's like, okay, okay, well, I'll let it fly. But honestly, right. What 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 are you doing here? What is the, what right. is the point of that?
1: I mean, the first time we see it, he nails this like what was it like a locust or a some giant kind of, grasshopper?
3: Yeah, some kind of bug, yeah. They're on that yeah. coast. <laughs> He's like, ha! I showed him. Right. <laughs> Dead bugs never gonna fly near me again. <laughs>
1: I thought the hangman was funny too because he had this weird cartoon character type voice.
0: Yes,
2: he <laughs> reminded me of uh, what the hell's his name in uh, both uh, "Blazing Saddles" and uh, yeah. "Robin Hood Men in Tights."
1: <laughs> I'm all full up till Thursday, sir.
2: <laughs> you know what
1: I say? No news is good news. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. But I liked how Niamh Navarro had the um, the secret compartment in her grandfather clock. I thought it was going to open up to the back cave, you know?
0: Yeah, right?
2: <laughs> like, that's what it's supposed to do.
3: <laughs> that's, that's what we were all expecting, and it just didn't happen. What the hell?
1: You know, and another cool thing about this movie, aside from, you know, Barnett always being concerned about being well-dressed, which, you know, if you watch the Terrence Hill films, he's always in rags.
2: Yes. <laughs> One shoe, and that shoe has a hole in it. Right. <laughs>
1: Um, but besides that, I, I thought with the directing too, he did a lot of cool shots in the blazing sun um, or there were shots indoors where sunlight was coming through in, in various fashions. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really a nice touch.
0: It's
3: Yeah. The, the, well, the there, – there are so many – the movie is two hours long, folks. So There yeah. are a lot of different scenes that I, could, that I could point to and just and say I really enjoyed that. Okay, for instance – Ah, uh, you reminded you just reminded me when he when he comes back, he goes to uh, his old girlfriend's uh, house, played by uh, you know played by knives uh, and uh, knives or de DeVero. I can I cannot remember how to pronounce her first name. Uh, she's playing Dolly. She's of course now married to the evil sheriff who you know loves throwing his his badge like a shuriken. And the, right. Uh, uh, he 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 goes he goes in there and starts cleaning himself up and is really happy to see that after 3 years of him being in prison his clothes are still in the closet so he starts getting dressed and she she says uh, my husband is going to be back any time now and he goes oh that's good he can tell me where you put my razor <laughs> so, <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> I see that kind of thing like that 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 does not feel like something stupid or silly that feels like the character being the smart ass that he is right then, which is I know exactly where your husband is right now and I'm going to get dressed and then he's right. dressed and he's all in white, <laughs> you know, it's, he's all in white he straps on his six, six guns and it's like, ah, now we're, this is the scene that shows us what this guy was like before the movie started three years before, before he went into prison. It's like, okay, now we get a look at who this guy really is. And the way he's acting in the scene, all of the dialogue between those two characters also is giving you more information about what this guy's like. And to be honest, that's a scene where I really kind of like start to like the character. And it's it's good stuff. Yeah,
1: Um, I just wanted to as we wrap this up here, because I know we have up against the clock. um, I had two scenes that reminded me of scenes from other films. And one of them was the opening where, you know, you get these guys pushing the giant wheel and it was except it reminded me of Conan, mm-hmm. except these guys were like weak and feeble.
2: <laughs> well, they just started on it. It was their first day. <laughs> they, yeah,
3: they really got it. They, they, they got to get on it. They, they really need to ask for a higher protein diet. I think so.
2: It, the other scene
1: that reminded me uh, of another movie of a later film was the the arm wrestling scene. I just kept thinking of that scene in The Fly in the remake of The Fly. Oh, oh, I was thinking, thinking over Jeff the go, top.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I tr- I've tried to purge that movie from my mind, so I understand.
1: <laughs> so, all right. So, final thoughts on this film, Rod?
3: Uh, I absolutely love it. I do. I can very easily understand that uh, uh, at, at, two, at two hours in length, this is gonna it's gonna feel too long for some people. Uh, I do know that there was a ninety minute edit of this film. Uh, everything I've read is that it would be a bad idea to watch that one because. You, you cleave 30 minutes out of, a, out of a film and you start losing. You, you're not just losing fat, you're losing muscle, and it's a bad idea. So uh, get, go in prepared for the fact that it's going to take you two hours to get through this and that it might feel a little slow around the midpoint. But trust me, the payoff is well worth it. And keep your eyes on the screen because the details really will keep you invested. I really enjoyed this film. I don't think it's uh, – it's not one of my favorite Spaghetti Westerns, but I will say – but it is definitely uh, on the plus side. This is a really good one, and uh, one that I'm—I have to admit—I would have stayed away from this because of the, my, my feelings about the lead actor and, and his usual jokey attitude in these films. But I'm glad I did see this because uh, this did not play out that way.
0: Good
1: move.
2: Right, Pat.
3: I thought it was really good. Uh, like
2: I said, it, um, I like the crazy, fun, like convoluted escapes and plans and things uh so getting the cannon tilted at just the right angle and and having the sunlight through the bars at just the right angle yeah i liked that a lot uh my only real complaint with this film is that the only version that we had was in italian and had to be subtitled uh and there is definitely a lot lost in translation. Are you sure? Because the one I watched was, um, I sent you the link for it. It was in English. I watched the, the YouTube link. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I should have done the other. Well, I couldn't get, for whatever reason, I couldn't get that one to come up. Maybe it was because it was on my phone. I don't know. But the uh, <laughs> the YouTube version was, you know, like I got the gist of it. Like, but it was definitely literally translated from. Like, there's a part at the beginning when they're when they're uh, trying to re- round all the people up, and it's like the uh, the main bad guy, not the main bad guy, but his his second in command was like, "Dude, he asked you a question." It's like, what? <laughs> oh, that's too funny. I was like, "All right, that's great." <laughs> but it's like <laughs>
3: doesn't seem an accurate translation
1: no <laughs> oh that's too bad cuz i thought gemma was um expertly dubbed here um he he it almost seems like it was uh someone who dubbed him in previous films cuz it sounded familiar to me and it really fit his,
3: his yeah character. i suspect from my memory it's the same person dubbing him across many films i think that you know they they lock into a particular uh a particular voice actor for especially for the stars, so that there's kind of some kind of you know continuity across different movies for the for people who are paying attention to going to a movie because of a particular actor. So yeah, that's true.
2: Right. You don't you don't want, you know, it's like, oh, in I mean it would fit for like the Ringo movies where like, you know, in you know, pistol for Ringo, he's, you know, dubbed over by Morgan Freeman, but in the next one it's Gilbert Gottfried, like
0: You don't that want would that. Fit.
2: But like generally, you don't want such a stark contrast. You don't want like Barry White in one thing and then like Weird Al Yankovic in the next.
3: Yeah, that right. would, that's uh, that's audio whiplash. Don't want that. Very jarring.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs>
1: So I enjoyed this movie. Um, I had no idea going into it what it was about, but, but I knew uh, Giuliano Gemma being in it, it was going to make it good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, two hours was a little long for me. I could have used a little less dialogue, but um, I, I see all your points, Raj. So I kind of I can't not agree with those. Oh, I can I can under, um, I can
3: understand wanting it to be a little bit shorter. I really
1: can. Yeah, but that end gunfight is worth the wait.
3: Yeah. Oh, I mean, no kidding! So yes, that, that ending, holy crap! Well, I will. So, I will
2: say just you know to quickly jump in talking about the runtime. If you uh, if you cut out a lot of the long dialogue lists, like just tracking shots of people riding horses or walking from place to place, or just like because there was a lot of long just scenes of like what's going on it's like oh we have to make sure we show this guy going from here to here because you know otherwise how are you gonna believe that he got there like it's right that could have trimmed the runtime by 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 about 10 15 minutes easily yeah yeah i definitely recommend this movie but i think
1: if you're not super familiar with spaghetti westerns don't start with this one um, especially after you know, the way we've been going through the films and we've discovered actors like Giuliano Gemma and Nieves Navarro and all that. I think you know, it's, it's a little better going into this having had seen a bunch of movies prior um, just to get a feel for the genre because this, this is very unconventional, um, which I liked about it, actually. It's, I liked a lot of the things they did in this movie that were different from other spaghetti westerns
3: oh one thing I, I meant to mention this earlier uh how radical is it i mean it, it wouldn't have been done in an american-made film of this same vintage that in the first part of the movie uh the way we're establishing the bad guy and one of the ways we're doing this is they're dealing with uh trying to find some runaway slaves mm-hmm. right by the, that's right yeah by the late 60s man trust me even by the 50s you're not having that kind of a of a, of a of a part of your your western at all it's only the italians that are that are gonna like hold up a mirror to that part of the american west oh right wow forgot <laughs> forgot to bring that up earlier but yeah
1: that's a good point that's a good point and uh just one last time i'd like to uh oops <laughs>
3: I thought you had electrocuted yourself first. Yeah, I was like, just one more time. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> All right, Raj. So thanks for joining us. And um, we'd love to have you back on again. Like I said, maybe a um, next special episode or one of the outside the East meets the West. Sounds Definitely. fun
3: to me, man. I'd be glad to. All right. Awesome.
1: Awesome. One I've been wanting to cover, which I know you talked about, was The Great Silence.
3: Oh, great movie. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah.
3: So, uh, although, I love that movie. One, one day, I've eventually got to talk somebody into uh, into covering uh, Johnny Hamlet. Speaking of uh, adapting other pieces, other other literary works in the spaghetti genre, I've got to talk somebody into talking about that movie one day. So what's
2: that? Is that a spaghetti of, western? Uh, like King Lear? <laughs> how, did, <laughs> how did you guess? No, is, is that a spaghetti western? Oh yeah, it's
3: a spaghetti western uh, directed by uh, Enzo Castellari in uh, '68, and it is hamlet set in the spaghetti west yeah dude we'll do it just whenever you want to oh it's it's a great film we'll we'll need to talk about it later this year that'd be great
1: yeah that'd be awesome all right uh we'll let you go man and thanks for joining us all right we'll talk to you
3: again soon thank you take care
1: Well folks, that's all the time we have for on the East meets the West today. Uh, don't forget to check out Rod Barnett's shows and stuff. I'll post those those links in the show notes. And you can check out more episodes as well as our sister show the Then is Now podcast in which we discuss all the cool stuff you may have missed out on at our website havenpodcasts.com. Please be sure to pick click on our no don't pick it. Click our Patreon link and T public T public links. I cannot talk once again. For some exclusive content
2: and don't forget folks the east meets the west is part of the dorkening podcast network as well so don't forget to check out all the great shows there at the dorkening podcast network.com and you can find me at uh, throwdownthursdaypodcast.com you can find me on the throwdown thursday podcast uh, facebook group as well as the loudest sports show which finally made its triumphant return we talked all about football and everything and somehow forgot to do our super bowl predictions in the week before the Super Bowl show. So that was pretty awesome, but we were rusty. We hadn't put out an episode in seven months, so. (laughs) Wow. But yeah, you can look forward to seeing that more often. And uh, yeah, you can follow me anywhere on those, those platforms.
1: Awesome, awesome. And don't forget to check out our YouTube page at youtube.com slash user slash uncle death one where you'll find all our podcasts there plus other fun stuff. And be sure to not only hit the subscribe button, but also share it with your friends. Uh, hit that little bell so you get the notifications when we put new videos up. And uh, get your friends to subscribe as well.
2: Yeah, and if you like what you hear, go to wherever you download your podcast and uh, leave us a great review so more people can find, find the show. Because the more reviews we have, the more exposure we get according to the algorithm. So, you know, feel free to leave us a review, tell your friends, have them leave reviews, you know let's get let's get you know get this shared if you guys like it. You know, we enjoy doing it so we want as many people as possible to experience these awesome films.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And we'll read some of your reviews on the show here too. So mm-hmm. um, so join us once again on our next episode of The East Meets The West.
0: The East Meets the West is intended for educational and entertainment
1: purposes only. All clips played on the show are property of their copyright holders. All other material is copyright Jupiter Media.